Grab your bat microphone, it's time to start the show. Welcome to the Bat Pod, a Batman comic book discussion podcast. On today's show, we will be discussing Detective Comics 1035, Robin number one, and Batman Urban Legends number two. Grab your headphones, listen up, you know you love it, drop the facade. Like the Dark Knight Detective, they've got some perspective, they're a pure crime-fighting collective, it's the Bat Pod. Welcome to episode 74, I'm your host Bill Beer, and joining me tonight, our very own Blue Hood, Sean Ross. <laughs> I'm in the Mauve Hood. Uh, or the fuchsia hood. I'd like to be a, oh, a, a more fuchsia. Or how about burnt sienna? That was always my favorite color in the Crayola box. <laughs> that, that's interesting. <laughs> Rolls off the tongue. Oh no, it's a burnt sienna hood. <laughs> Criminals beware. Criminals beware. <laughs> yeah. Pretty scary there. Exactly. I mean, really beware as in you got beat by who? <laughs> right. <laughs> who, who took you to jail? The who? Right. The what? That, that reminds me of that villain, the flamingo. <laughs> <laughs> First time he showed up didn't really seem that menacing. Yeah. Well, or like qu- Crazy Quilt. I remember the first time I saw Crazy Quilt, I was like, really? And then it was like, oh, but he almost beat Jason Todd to death on his first adventure as Robin. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got that going for him. There you go. So tonight, as I said, we have two books, and we're going to do the Red Hood story in the Batman Urban Legends. We're going to have Stump the co-host. And we first up here, we're going to have an announcement. This is, as I said, this is episode 74, so we're going to do a giveaway for episode 75 and announce it. So our giveaway is for, I have a variant cover, a Batman 108. It's a Comics Elite exclusive Carla Cohen cover. If you want to see what that looks like, you can always go to the BatPod's Twitter at Bat underscore pod. And there's a picture up there. How to enter the contest, you're probably asking. And the way you enter this contest, the way to enter is giving us an Apple Podcast review. And we will announce the winner in episode 76. The other thing you can do in episode 75, we will have a code word. You can DM or email us the code word, and you can also enter... That way, because I didn't want to alienate people that are not, do not have Apple Podcasts. And the cool thing, everybody enters, gets a prize. How exciting is that? Again, Apple Podcast review, code word from episode 75. I will announce it at the beginning of 75 so we're all clear. So there you go. That's awesome. You told me about this giveaway because I am actually the winner of two previous giveaways from this podcast prior to joining as co-host. I am now recusing myself, unfortunately, from from entering. But uh, I have to tell you, you showed me that cover and I almost texted you back. Hey, I quit. <laughs> I'm no longer your co-host. I'm entering the, the contest. I'll be back in another episode because uh, it's a super cool cover. I didn't do it, but it is a really cool variant. Yeah, I, I think it's yeah. it's worth an iTunes review. How did you win again? Was it because we only had like I, three listeners or something? That's not how I see it. I, I think <laughs> that uh, you did a stump the co-host and I answered the correct questions correctly over Twitter, which was, was really a precursor of what was to come when I eventually joined you as co-host oh in that I am like, I, I want like a thousand and one, 2001. I can't it's, remember my record, it's but it's getting deep in here. 
<laughs> something like that. It's something like 20, 2001. I, I, I heard my, I, these aren't my words. Somebody online called me the Michael Jordan of stump the co-host. I, you know, it wasn't, they weren't my words, but I'm not going to say, you know, the word hero was brought up, but I, I mean, no, I wouldn't say it. But, okay. You know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So let's head to the books. The Bat Pod is a spoiler podcast. Please read the comics we're reviewing so you can enjoy the show. All right, our first book of the night is Detective Comics number 1035. It is written by Mariko Tamaki, drawn by Dan Mora, colored by Jordi Belair, lettered by Aditya Bidikar, and edited by Paul Kaminsky. Now, this is part two of the first arc by this new creative team called The Neighborhood. And in this issue, Bruce is investigating the abduction of his neighbor, Sarah Worth. During the investigation, Bruce looks into the tunnels under his new townhome that run underneath Gotham, and he finds Sarah's body, and the police follow quickly upon. While Bruce is fleeing the scene, a policeman is inadvertently injured, and don't think that story point's going to go away. At Sarah's funeral, her father, Mr. Worth, who graces the cover, he's a wealthy Gothamite, a larger man, he swears vengeance, and meanwhile, Sarah's husband, Turns up drugged, Mayor Nakano's lawyer, who we saw covered in blood in the last issue, turns up drugged, and Sarah Worth seemingly returns from the dead. So, Bill, this is the second issue in the new arc from the new creative team. And before we jump into the issue itself, what are your thoughts on the cover with the announcement of the wrath of Mr. Worth? Well, I think the cover is slightly deceiving. Yeah, a little bit, right? Because he looks like this very large man like uh nine or ten foot tall or even taller he looks like craven the buffet hunter like he i mean the way they depict him on here he looks like a huge badass but that's not who he is at all (laughs) no not at all It, it yeah it's a little deceiving like they said hey do a cover with this big man enraged fighting batman and that's what they did that was their interpretation but doesn't really which a lot of times covers don't really show you know anymore what's what's in the books it all depends it all depends this one's especially egregious though because this guy's a a mourning father whose daughter just died and you are depicting him as like the big bad and you think it's like a new villain called mr worth Uh uh-huh so a little bit of a little bit of a misnomer on the cover well drawn but not exactly accurate. But speaking of well-drawn, this is the second issue by this new team, Dan Mora on pencils and inks. And he is, just like he did in Future State Dark Detective, he is continuing his run of gorgeous penciling in this book, uh, partnered with Jordi Belair on covers in particular. This book is just beautiful. The colors pop, the pencils are powerful, and it opens with Bruce trying to track down Sarah Worth, who is still missing. And and we we peek in at Mayor Nakano's office, and Mr. Worth has made a call. And we learn that Mr. Worth is a, is a wealthy Gothamite, who, the kind of man who would have the mayor on speed dial. And the mayor's team are, are reacting to it, including his lawyer, who we saw covered in blood. And so it's interesting, right? Because at this point, did you think, oh, okay, we're looking at the murderer? I thought that's an open and shut case that we're looking at the murder, but I'm not so sure what's Mm -hmm. going on. This book is distinctly different from Batman, 
Detective Comics, and we're getting a detective story. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting, pretty perfect for this book. I like that we don't know exactly what, know what's going on, and it is a mystery. And Batman's trying to solve this mystery, but there's something going on with Neil. I'm not quite sure what, because you see Neil's having like this headache mm-hmm. and hallucinations of... I don't even know how to describe what he was seeing when he was hallucinating. It, it's interesting because it reminds me of like the scarecrow, like fear toxin. And the man who's there with him is Hugh, who is Mayor Nakano's sort of major domo, his right hand man. Right. And remember, Hugh was the one who saw Bruce Wayne run away from the banquet. The other the, in the last issue when the par- party crashers came in and then all of a sudden Batman appears. And we, we noted that we said, hey, this is probably going to be important because Mora draws attention to Hugh looking at Bruce Wayne as Bruce runs away. And then we get Neil suddenly freaking out because he can't open this bottle of his pills and then hallucinating. And Hugh is there sort of calming him down. We have, as I mentioned in the in synopsis, we have Sarah's husband who shows up completely drugged out of his mind which just doesn't seem indicative of his character. And what jumped out at me, and I know we're jumping the gun a little bit here, but we're, we're already on this path. What jumped out at me is I'm watching the scene with Neil trying to open his pills, freaking out, and then this weird hallucination came in. And I thought, oh, maybe this is the scarecrow. Maybe, maybe Batman and Detective are crossing over, and they, did, it was just, they didn't announce it. This is just a really tight universe. Maybe this is Jonathan Crane, because Hugh even kind of looks like Jonathan Crane. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Maybe they're doing a crossover. And then I said the word in my brain and I went, Hugh. And I went, oh, Hugo, Hugo Strange. Like, so we don't know if it's Hugo Strange, but if there ever were a psychologically manipulative character who might, I don't know, drug and, you know, implant ideas into innocent people's brains so that they commit crimes, wouldn't put it past Hugo Strange. And plus, the guy who noticed Batman leaving or Bruce Wayne leaving the party and then Batman showing up, it'd make a lot of sense if it were Hugo Strange because Hugo Strange has known Bruce Wayne's identity for a long time. Now, I am jumping, hugely jumping to conclusions here, but what do you think? you think I'm too big a jump or do you think I'm onto something? I don't think Hugh is Hugo Strange. I didn't think about that. That did never hit me, but his body type and... Are you fat shaming Hugo Strange? <laughs> <laughs> They've got Metafast in Gotham City. They've got Jenny Craig in Gotham City. Okay, (laughs) okay. I guess that's possible. The biggest thing that you just connected the dots on is somebody is controlling these people, normal citizens, Mm -hmm. to do bad things. Because they said the crime rate in the last month, the murders have gone up. And you see whatever is given to them, whatever kind of drug or, or... hypnosis or whatever you want to call it is affecting these people because you see what it does to Sam and Mm -hmm. he's in a rage for whatever. Yes, his his lady friend, not wife, girlfriend or whatever you want to call it, just died. Bruce calls her partner, yeah. Yeah, was just murdered. So he's in this rage, but his eyes are big, wide open. His pupils are really small. Mm -hmm. So something is going on. And I don't quite know what it is, but it sure is interesting, I do have to say. The other thing that I think that is quite interesting is Mayor Nakano. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he got elected. He was injured in the police force. He lost his eye. He has this new vigilante platform that he got elected by. And Batman goes down to investigate the sewers because they found blood on the manhole cover and whatnot. And he goes down and he finds Sarah's body. And the police show up. They say, oh, it's Batman. Batman's involved. And Miradakano is quick to say, yeah, I'm not surprised he's involved. Yeah. Has he been in Gotham, like, not very long and doesn't know his reputation or that sort of thing? Because that seems kind of, we're, we're going to make him be the scapegoat because, or it's all a political agenda. Yeah, I think that it's I think there's a couple ways to read that moment. And uh-huh. I, I want to go back to that sewer scene because there's there's some things I really love about it. I, when Nakano, you know, the he's talking to his his one of his staff and he says, Batman is a suspect we have right now, Mr. Mayor. And, ba- and Nakano says, I have no doubt he has some connection to this. You know, he could be it could be taken a couple of different ways, a connection to the murder or a connection to the investigation of the murder, right? Like that Batman's going to be, you know, vigilante's got a vigilante and he's going to be doing his thing no matter what Nakano tells him, you know, no matter what he mm-hmm. says. And so I think that's interesting. Partnered with what's going on in Tynan's Batman book with Simon Saint doing the full court press to bring in the magistrate, it is a nice one-two punch. You don't have to read both books, but it, but if you are reading both books, and I would highly recommend it, you get a nice full tapestry of what's happening in Gotham. Now, Detective is a much quieter book than Batman, but I like that a lot. And so the the Nakano moment I thought was really interesting. But I do want to duck back to the sewers. There are a couple things I, just my favorite moments in this book are in the sewers. So Bruce goes into the tunnels. He he figures out, hey, the, whoever took Sarah, they didn't have a car because there's cameras out in front, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, they're, mm-hmm. no, they didn't pick up a getaway car. So they had to have gone into the sewers. And Bruce knows that because Bruce is building these mini bat caves in these sewers. And so he goes down into the sewer to try to track them. And Mora, I don't, I don't know if this, you picked up on this. Maybe it's just me, but I was wigging out at how cool this is. Mora draws Batman with a flashlight walking through the sewer. And his cape is like floating on the sewage. It's floating on the water. And I know this sounds dumb, but for some reason – Whenever comic book artists, 99% of them, which makes total sense for you know shorthand, save time, whenever they draw a Batman or somebody with a cape in water, the cape just falls straight down into the water, like it's weighted on the bottom or something. This is one of the only times I've ever seen the way the cape would actually float were he walking in sludge and water. And it just gave such a cool visual of him being sort of weighted down by the darkness of this. And it's it's kind of – it's even more amazing – because he turns the corner and he sees Sarah and, and Mora does a really beautiful job of Batman's body blocking whatever was done to her body. We just know she's dead. She's, she's strung up in this sewer. And he says to her, he looks at her body and he goes, Sarah, I'm so sorry. I, this is one of my favorite Batman moments in probably 20 years. Like, I am so glad that we have gotten to this point back to a human Batman. Instead of, you know, Herm or, you know, Dark Knight of Vengeance or whatever, mm-hmm. we get a very human Bruce Wayne who says, man, I met this woman. She was really nice, and I'm really sad she's dead. So it may just be me, but what were your thoughts on the sewer scene? Oh, I like the sewer scene. I did not notice until you mentioned about the, the cape floating. It didn't register with me. 
the big thing that we're getting here is we're getting a Batman in detective mode, which we don't yep. always see. He's asking questions. How long has she been here? How long has she been dead? And then he's answering some of his questions. Not long. He says, why you? Why here? Mm-hmm. Hidden, but not hidden. Not hidden for anyone looking. You know, I love the, the full panel that he's standing in front of her. Uh, he, I, I'm not laughing at, at him finding her body. Uh-huh. If you, you turn the page. There's, so there's a full page spread of him standing in front of the body. That's very powerful. The next page is a, a mini full page spread of, of the front of Batman lit up and then some side panels. And I, this is just me. And you're going to be like, you're no longer my co-host. But is this the second appearance of the Batawang? Because Mora definitely gives Bruce. This is an anatomically correct Batman. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about, everybody. You totally do. It you doesn't, can't it. doesn't it. look like that in my uh Oh, my God. My there copy. There's no way you can tell me that he – there. I mean, this – it's like – I mean, it, it's like when you watch track in Summer Olympics and you have to kind of keep your eyes above level because the – you know, those track uniforms are so tight. Um, you can tell what religion people are. Uh, it's – it is – yeah, I was like, "Wow, the Batwing is back." So, I so I, I apologize, <laughs> but we, we can move on. But don't don't pretend like you didn't see it. <laughs> there is some shading there. That's all. I'll oh, say. there we go. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging. <laughs> on this page, I have a question for you. <laughs> because he said, changing the subject. <laughs> the panel that's you know, a real skinny to the right. I can't tell what's going on there. I see a foot. But what is, is that them, uh, I guess it's the police chomping through the sewers, but what am I seeing there? Yeah, it is confusing. He says at least a dozen from the sound of it. He can hear the cops coming. Mm-hmm. And I think it is supposed to be the clump, clump, clumping of their feet yeah. through the, the sewer. Also, like, hinting that, and he says it, too. They're, they're, based, they're, they're sacrificing the crime scene. They're messing up the crime scene. And I like this, too, because it catches Bruce unaware on a couple levels. One, he didn't give the Gotham cops credit for finding it this quickly. He even makes a little snide remark about like easy to find even for the Gotham PD. And I was like, ooh, somebody's got somebody's thrown shade. And then he's like, oh, they're here quick. And he he doesn't he gets out, but he doesn't get out quite fast enough. And let me ask you, so the cops are firing on him. One bullet seems to do a through and through through his shoulder. So it does look like he's hit. And then another bullet seems to bounce off. Initially I thought it bounced off his cape, because his cape is bulletproof, Kevlar. Right, right. But now it looks like it bounced off the the like stone wall of the sewer Mm -hmm. it ricochets and it hits a cop in the shoulder i mean that is a crime like i if you if something happens to a cop in the commission of a crime the person who's committing the crime is responsible for that like if i'm robbing a 7-eleven so my wife is a lawyer and she had one of these questions on the bar she told me about it if i'm robbing a 7-eleven and a cop comes to stop me and I run out and he runs after me, even if I have nothing to do with this, but he trips over the doorstop, falls, hits in head and dies. I am now guilty of murder because it was during the commission of a crime, whether I committed it or not. So Batman literally has now assaulted a police officer. I mean, what what are your thoughts on this? Well, I didn't look at it that way, but that sure is that's an eye opener because I originally thought, hey, these cops or some dirty cops saying, you know, Batman attacked them and injured them, that sort of thing. But the way you word it, okay, that makes perfect sense. Then that makes the cops not look as bad as I originally suspected. You might be right. I mean, because there uh-huh. there's a couple moments. So the mayor's aide is talking to him 
later and he says, we can positively identify that the vigilante Batman was in the tunnels when the body was found. We can also confirm that an officer was injured in the in the chase. Nikano says, by Batman? And the word is emphasized because it almost is like Nikano doesn't believe it. And the guy says, that's the report, sir. So even that language is vague. You know, if he yeah, really like yeah. if they if they really believed it, they would have said, yes, Batman, you know, took out an officer. So even the language makes it seem like mm, there's something shady here. So, you know, you never know. This might end up being, you know, something like that. And then they they cement over the crime scene later. The the city does. Yeah. They, they won't let anybody investigate it. Yeah. There's something going on here that. Yep. You know, somebody higher up, either the police or in the mayor's office or somebody. I don't think it's Nakano. No. But somebody is trying to cover something up. They didn't want that crime. They wanted her to be found, but they didn't want that crime to be investigated by anybody. Mm-hmm. So that is pretty darn interesting. And, I, you know, we have some players in the mayor's office that's been er- introduced. This book has done a good job of characterization of, you yeah. know, people in the mayor's office. And Bruce's neighbors. Yep, Bruce's neighbors. So he did have a... I wouldn't say a real personal connection, but she lived and he met her at a party and for the neighborhood. So he did know this person. I think that's one of the reason why he's it's it's more personal because she's from where he lives. She was part of his apartment building or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. You know, it happened right under his nose. He should have been able to do something about it, but wasn't able to for whatever reason. Yeah, it makes sense that he would take that very personally. That's the kind of person Bruce is, right? Mm-hmm. I, I one other thing I would just the, you know a couple other things I would address in this issue before we close. One, I love the appearance of the Huntress because this feels like Helena Helena Bertinelli Huntress. They took the character in a little bit of a different angle during the Grayson book in New Fifty Two, mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like she was really Helena Bertinelli. I felt like they were just using the name and the costume, right? But this felt like Helena Bertinelli again. This felt like the Huntress from the Bat books from the 90s and the early 2000s. And I was excited for that. So what are your thoughts on her being back in the books? Oh, I love it. I love it. She's always one of my favorite, you know, characters in Gotham that really hasn't got enough, you know, looks as of late. You know, and I like the version where, you know, she's the daughter of the mobster and her mm-hmm. family was killed, that sort of thing. I like that version. I know they, the in the New 52, it was slightly changed at times, or you didn't know what her background was, and she didn't feel like the Huntress sometimes. But I, but I like her being back, and when we get to the backup, it really feels like this is the Huntress that we know. Yeah, it does. She was definitely a casualty of New 52, and I feel like... Tamaki is is making an effort to bring back the Huntress we knew. So the issue ends with Bruce walking back to his new townhome, thinking about the case, trying to figure out the connection. Like you said, this feels like a detective story, which is smart for a book called Detective Comics. And then he looks and he says, what is? And he sees something walking and he says the word strange. Just notice that. And we get an amazing drawing. God, Dan Moore and Jordi Belair are good of Sarah seemingly zombie Sarah back from the grave approaching Bruce Wayne. So, so what were your, this, I did not see this ending coming. What were your thoughts on the end? No, I didn't think it. I thought it was cool. And why isn't she in the morgue? But she must've got up and took a stroll. 
<laughs> this was surprising, and when you say, you know, Hugo Strange, and he mentions it again, that might be clues right there. Yeah. You may be right. You may be right. I I didn't see that strange thing until until just now. I didn't isolate for me. So either way, though, the the turn into like a zombie horror story or whatever this ends up being is just cool. I mean, again, Detective. We've said this a couple times, but I'm going to say it again. This had been the the weaker book of the two for a while. You know, Tomasi's run was was hit and miss. Uh, when it hit, it was really good. When it missed, it was really bad. And so it definitely wasn't up to snuff with with Tynan's Batman book. And I feel like now, in its own way, it is as good. But I like that it's good in a different way. I like that this is a quieter book. It's a more cerebral book. It's more about Bruce's life, and it's more – it's a quieter book, which I think plays to Tamaki's strengths as a writer. And I, I just have enjoyed these two issues more than I have enjoyed Detective Comics in probably two years. And you know the other thing about this is it feels like it's in the same continuity. Yes. Because Detective and Batman, a lot of times – never felt especially the new 52 to me it never felt it was happening at the same time or even in the same universe sometimes this feels directly connected it does and it goes back to an interview that tynan gave very recently where he said what they are trying to do he and and ben abernethy dave welgas is they're trying to build the bat universe to to mirror at least structurally what Marvel and Jonathan Hickman are doing in the X universe in Marvel, where there's an ecosystem where the books there, you know, there are 10 X books, 10 plus X books in the Marvel line right now. And they're all really different, but they all have one thing in common, which is the current status quo of the X-Men being on Krakoa and being their own Island nation of mutants. But the stories can go anywhere they want, but they're all rooted in that same starting point, which makes it feel really cohesive and, and actually strengthens some books that if it didn't have that connection wouldn't be as strong and adds to some books that are strong and makes them even stronger. And I love that he's talking about that, that basically the idea is these are a shared universe. These books are going to have connections, not so much that it's like the old days in the 80s where one story continued into the other, you know, Batman detective, Batman detective, but enough where you feel like you are reading the same story set in the same time. You know, or, or at least the same Bruce, because I agree with you. There were times there in New 52 where I dropped Detective for a long time in New 52 because I was like, nope, not interested in this face cutting Joker like I'm done. And I couldn't even imagine dropping this book right now because it's so good. No. And if you think about it, you think about Catwoman, you think about Nightwing is in Bloodhaven, but you think about the Red Hood story that we're getting. They're all in this little universe, you know. Uh, Harley Quinn, they're all in this, not the same stories, but that interconnectivity, especially with Mayor Nakano. And I love that, you know, they have this sit down and say, hey, we're going to make this universe more cohesive. Not the whole DC universe, but the Batman part of the universe more cohesive. And I think that adds to my enjoyment. I really do. Me too. And and I think the other thing they're doing in the Bat universe that mirrors what Marvel is doing with Hickman and the X-Men is they're throwing their talent at it. They're saying like, hey, we're going to bring our big guns here. And, and you know, Mariko Tamaki might not be a, as well known a writer, but she's doing a great job. And, and Mora is a brilliant artist. And so I just yeah, I'm excited. And, and I 
I really am excited to see where this storyline goes. I feel like it's interesting. I feel like it's something we haven't seen in Batman in a while. And I like that detective is playing the detective angle. I mean, that's a, that's a part of Batman I want to see. So, so that takes us to our backup. And we have this starring, speaking of the person we were just talking about, Helena Bertinelli, the Huntress. Story's called Mary Knox, and it's written by Mareko Tamaki, drawn by Clayton Henry, colored by Jordi Belair, lettered by Aditya Bidikar, and edited by Paul Kaminsky. And in this short but really hard-hitting backup, Helena Bertinelli has a certain area of Gotham that she is patrolling. And while patrolling, she meets super annoying but annoyingly endearing woman named Mary Knox. <laughs> who is out walking her cat every night and gets mugged a bunch of times. And Helena happens to encounter her on this night where a guy puts a gun in her face and says, give me your phone. And she goes, I can't afford a new one. No. And Helena beats the guy up, but then kind of tries to reprimand Mary saying, you know, it's not worth getting killed over a phone. And she's like, no, don't tell me what to do. And she's so obstinate that Helena, they start arguing. And then Mary just starts talking. And Helena even notes this woman just talks, just talks and talks. And Helen is like, and I don't really have any friends. So it was kind of neat. Every night I would go by and I would check in on Mary and we would have a discussion. Well, one night they have a little bit of a fight. So Helena stays away for a little bit, but then she's on patrol and she sees a cat on a leash on its own and she finds Mary's body and there has been another crime and she swears that she's going to make somebody pay. So a lot of story for a short backup, really beautifully drawn by Clayton Henry. What were your thoughts as a whole on this Hunter story? I loved it. I really enjoyed, you know, I would say this really got into the character of the Huntress. She talks right off the beginning. You know, friends have never been my strong suit. Teams, not great, but okay. (laughs) Understatement. (laughs) Yeah. So I really liked she made a friend. She made a friend of a lady that... Wasn't your average, you know, she's getting mugged. She's getting, uh, the guy's asking for her phone, but she's not going to give it to him. And, and Huntress comes in and saves her and that sort of thing. And they become friends. They like on patrol. They have these nightly walks. She's walking a cat, which is a little weird. I don't know anybody that walks a cat, but... I do. I have neighbors who do it. It is weird. Well, you do live in the retirement neighborhood, but... (laughs) As you mentioned previously. It's true. I do like that they they have this friendship. I don't know if they... Huntress will say it's a friendship, because you can see the different conversations, like dental insurance... (laughs) <laughs> you know, house plants, that sort of thing. And then we get to that they have sort of a, a disagreement because she had a panic attack and the Huntress is, is not as forgiving of a friend as she should be. She finds out that she had been hurt and she's like, doesn't really say anything. She doesn't until she leaves. And that's when uh, she ends up getting murdered and and she, you really feel for the huntress here. Yeah. And you know, when you see the cat without the leash, you know what happened. And the way the art is conveyed there with her eyes and everything, she knows what happened. Yeah, the amount of character building Tamaki and Henry do in a very short time is unbelievable. Because even that moment where Helena finds Mary on the stoop and she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I had a panic attack. And Huntress is like, you can't be out here again. It's too dangerous. And she's giving good advice. But Mary says back to her, like, don't tell me what to do. She's like, look, I was with somebody. He wouldn't, I would only do what he said to do. He hurt me. 
I like being outside. It makes me feel like it's my choice. And so being indoors too long makes her panic. She has you know, some PTSD from, from whatever this thing was, this relationship was. And Helena doesn't say anything. You're right. And, but her internal monologue is like, I should have said something. I should have been a better friend. I should have, I should have, I should have. And then we find out, you know, that, that Mary is dead. And I mean, I, we're never going to see Mary again, but I am not going to forget her anytime soon. Like in a, in like an eight page backup, they made this woman feel very real. And I'm right there with the huntress at the end of it. Like go get payback. Like, you know, like go take out whoever did this. Absolutely. And it's like, okay, I'm very interested in the backup. Backups don't always do that. Backups mm-hmm. seem like in the past they were like, okay, it was a story. It was almost a throwaway. This is definitely isn't a throwaway. This Mm-mm. definitely, I want to know who the Huntress is, what the Huntress is about. And I think slowly they have given that to us. You know, the, the big thing with stories nowadays is people want not just... You know, a big fight, uh, we got the bad guy, that sort of thing. At least for me, it's what are these characters about? What is their passion? What do they care about? Who are they? And I think that's what we got right here. Well, we need our money's worth. Comics are expensive. And if you're going to ask me to pay extra for this issue of Detective because there's a backup story, then that backup story better be good enough to have demanded that extra money. And in this case, and actually in all the Bat books, the answer has really been yes. Now, the punchline backup in Joker might be the exception. It's been solid. It hasn't been great. But the Robin backup two-parter, very good. The Ghostmaker backup in the last Batman issue that we covered was phenomenal. And then this is excellent. And, and I have to say, in contrast, in the Superman line of books right now, they're doing backups, and it's not working. They have this Midnighter backup that is just unreadable. And I'm actually getting so angry that I'm paying extra for it that I'm really seriously considering dropping the Superman books. Cause I'm like, I don't know if I love the main story enough to keep paying this money for it. So, so good on you, bat, you know, bat line, bat office for making the backup stories worth the money and feel connected to the actual book I'm reading. Like I would feel like I missed something if I hadn't read that Hunter's story. So, so that brings us to the end of this issue of detective. Any last thing you want to say before we cut to uh Stump the co-host. Actually, I, I want to say they are they have the what feels like some of the top artists on the this yeah. line. Not just Detective, not just Batman, all around the backups included. Every art feels like it fits that particular book or that fit particular story. It's just amazing right now. Yeah, it's great. It is. It really is. And so if if you're not, you know, we say this every episode, but I'm gonna say it again. If you're not somebody who's picking up detective, pick it up. It is just as good as the bat book, the the main bat book. And I would say it's equally as vital to the line. So, all right, well, that brings us to the end, Bill. Why don't you take us to where we're going next? We're going to head to stump the co-host. Woohoo. It's time for the bat pod stump the co-host segment. Welcome to Stump the Co-Host, and today on Stump the Co-Host, their theme is the Iceberg Lounge. <laughs> the Iceberg Lounge, and I'm going to ask a question. If you get this question correct, you'll win the cash and prizes, and as always, you definitely want the cash and prizes. Although your house is starting to fill up for some it reason is. because you uh, seem to be winning lately. 
Lately. Let's make that change. Lately. Let's make that change. <laughs> so here we go. Our question is, what is the first appearance of the Iceberg Lounge? Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> number one, Batman number 38, volume one. Detective Comics 417. Detective Comics 683 or Shadow of the Bat number 64. First appearance of the Iceberg Lounge, Batman 38, Detective Comics 417, Detective Comics 683, Shadow of the Bat number 64. This is unfair, I just want to say. How is this unfair? This is Stump the co-host. That's what I'm trying to do. I've been so dominant in this that I think you purposely – normally you would have given me the title of the comic – or you would have given me the date it was released instead of just the numbers. This you have made this really difficult. Now I'm still I'm not complaining. I'm still going to guess, and I'm still probably going to do well. But I just want to say up front, I'm just going to file a formal protest with the oversight committee that I think. Okay, since been... I'm the head of the oversight committee, <laughs> I will I will take your protest under consideration. I appreciate that. I think there's a little bit – I'm, I'm just a little bit of pettiness here. I think you've been getting – you've been losing a lot lately, and you, you're trying to throw me off the game. But having said that, I'm going to still get this right. Okay, so Batman – what would you say? 38. 38. No, too early, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nix that one. What Detective was the next one? Comics 417. So that also feels early. I feel like the first pick – the Iceberg Lounge issue – I'm picturing Norm Brayfogle art. I'm picturing a, a penguin cover, and it may not have been the first appearance. It's the first time I remember it. So what was the next one? Detective Comics 683. Oh, that feels really late, though. Or Shadow one? of the Bat, number 64. That feels late, too, because that would have been Brayfogle and Grant after their Batman run. Okay, I'm going to go with number two. Which was what Detective Comics four? What was 17. it? Four seventeen. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Detective Comics. I'm, so that's my choice. <laughs> You're making me wait. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, you're incorrect. Man. The first appearance of the Iceberg Lounge was in Detective Comics number six eighty three <sighs> from nineteen ninety five. Oh. So you Man. didn't win the cash and prizes. Again, formal protest. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'll take it under consideration. I'm sure you will. <laughs> I will uh, send out a notice, uh, you know, 10 to 12 weeks from now with your, <laughs> with your, my findings, my results, my okay. decision. Your, your inquiry, your, your hard hitting inquiry into corruption at Stump the Co-host. Yes. <laughs> Well, what would I have won? What did I lose? Okay. You, you're going to be crying here. You really are. You're going to be crying because you would have won a three-night stay to Gotham City at the <laughs> Iceberg Lounge and Casino. How oh. exciting is that? Is the coffin included? No, <laughs> the high mortality there, rate. There's no coffin, but you might want your parka and your mittens. Mm-hmm. You know, because they have seals in the main floor where you gamble and you sit on blocks of ice and different things like that. So you live in an Arizona, that probably wouldn't have been too good. Yeah, I mean, anything below 70 degrees is blocks of ice yeah. for me. Do, so. you, do you own a parka? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> well, you don't know what a park is. 
I mean, I can okay, picture Google it. Okay, Google it. You'll have to Google that later. And... <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, you know, look, I'll, look, I'm okay. I will be gracious in defeat. I'm still like 5,002. No, uh, there I'm... hasn't even been 5,000 episodes, so <laughs> we're only so on no 74. I'm no longer the Michael Jordan of Stump the Co-host. Maybe I'm the LeBron James of Stump the Co-host. I can live with that. But, you know, I, we all know. Everybody listening knows that you you padded this one. Pat, no. No, that is incorrect. <laughs> incorrect. I just had the panel vote, and uh, it sounds like you're going to lose on this one, but it's <laughs> under consideration. <sighs> so that was Stump the Co-host. Let's go ahead, and we're going to head... To our next book. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Here, ready to move up. So our next book tonight is Batman Urban Legends number two. We're just doing the Red Hood story. And it's Cheer Part 2. And in this issue, Red Hood, feeling guilty from killing the young boy's father, calls Oracle for help. In a flashback to Jason's childhood, Jason is knocked around by his mother's drug dealer friend. Batman takes out three known associates of the Scarecrow, but finds out they're just getting groceries for Mr. Freeze. (laughs) And Oracle tells Batman that Jason is in trouble. Red Hood has taken the young boy to his apartment, debating if he should take care of him because he has no one. And another flashback to his childhood, Jason Jason pushes the drug dealer from behind down a flight of stairs. Batman shows up at Jason's place to confront him about committing murder in Gotham. A fight ensues with the young boy stepping in front of Batman, telling him to leave him alone. So, we get another Red Hood story in this uh, Urban Legends and we're just doing the Red Hood story because there's 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 too much. We would be here have like a 2-hour episode if we did like every story in in this, but again, we're continued right at the end of the last issue where he murdered the boy's father and he has a lot of guilt and you see it in his face. I really think that this this is really a character study. We've mentioned it before. I really enjoy where they've taken the Red Hood on this. The flashbacks really help. To, you get a characterization of Jason and why he is the way he is. Him dying and coming back, you know, probably augmented some of this, but he was still the same way, you know, uh, have anger issues, do things out of out of anger and that sort of thing. And that's what you saw this time because he met the boy. He felt sorry for the boy. But the flashbacks, you see how his life was, and it wasn't very good, that's for sure. He mentioned that, you know, there wasn't anything that was going to save him. He was in trouble, you know, right from the beginning, that there wasn't this one thing. It's He, he went down a path that probably he wasn't going to return from. So I really enjoyed the story again. What did you think? It, it is, along with Three Jokers, you know, this is turning into my favorite Jason Todd story of all time. It's just, we're getting so many good Jason Todd stories right now, and especially set in the Bat universe. It's really interesting to see the bit of his past. I mean, if you ask anybody, 
hey, what is the in-universe, on-panel proof that Jason had a rough upbringing? It's that he steals the tires off the Batmobile, right? Right. That's, That's the only we, thing that you can, you know, really. Exactly. That's what we get. You know, we we learn that his dad was a criminal and his mom was a criminal and worked for the Joker, you know, in Death of the Family. You know, in, in the 80s, we just, Jason goes from Dick Grayson carbon copy with red hair, pre-crisis, to the kid who stole the tires off the Batmobile post-crisis. And even that transition is so abrupt because Jim Starlin just makes him irredeemable. So Jason Todd is a, is a character who's never had a fair shake. And then he's brought back, and then he's the Red Hood. I mean, he names himself after the guy who beat him to death. I mean, that already tells you where he is mentally. But it's, he's a character I've always liked more in theory than in practice. I've always thought he was interesting and could have great stories, but only really had okay stories. But man, then Three Jokers came along, and then this book came along. And that that flashback scene where a young Jason's mom gives him the money and says, go to the store, get some bread. And she's about to say, and get something for yourself. But then she looks down at how little money she has and says, just get the bread. And he's walking out and he sees the drug dealer coming in and kind of mouths off to him. And the guy pushes him and threatens him with a knife. I mean, that scene and then the follow-up scene is, tells me more about Jason Todd than the last 30 years combined. Like it is everything I need to know about why he's the Red Hood, why he's so bad at being the Red Hood, <laughs> you know, I mean, why he makes so many mistakes. Mm -hmm. It all gets into context. It all makes sense when you realize he was this kid who basically raised himself, whose mom was a drug dealer, whose dad was a you know criminal who he potentially never even met, you know, and just the, the, the reality of that, the brutality of that is so much more powerful than the mouthy kid who stole the tires off the Batmobile that I, I have a, a new respect and affection for him after this issue that I hadn't had prior. So I know it's not going to happen because Zdarsky is becoming just too big a name as a writer, but I would, you know, really, really love to see a Red Hood book by him. Oh yeah, it would be amazing. That's for sure. I do like, you know, the way that they're characterizing, you know, the Red Hood, a lot of new characters in the Batman as universe of books as a whole. I do how like it, it seems to be a focus on characterization, and that's really cool to see. Because some of these characters, you know, there are a lot of great characters in Gotham, and maybe some of them don't get used as much as they should. They're, you know, thrown aside or whatever. But the Red Hood Jason Todd feels like it feels like a different. Jason Todd as of late. It doesn't feel like this is the guy that the Joker killed. He came back. Batman didn't do anything. And he's like, okay, it's okay. But now we're in a different... The story is showing us, you know, it's not just okay. Him and Batman yeah. aren't hunky-dory or whatever you want to call it. I want to change gears here real quick. And I want to mention this scene with the three guys going for groceries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that scene is incredible with Batman. That's an incredible scene with Batman. There is uh, some humor there. But him in the street, you know, talking to the one criminal. And, you know, the lights go out. Mm -hmm. He knocks the lights out and goes after them. It reminds me a little bit from Batman Begins, you know, in the warehouse yes. where 
You know, he's knocking out the light and he's just taking out guys one at a time. This was an amazing, amazing set of panels here. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the background coloring. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I thought it was funny. And as we're saying, you know, he's he thought he was working for the Scarecrow, directly related to the Batman book. You know, you got your interweaving threads there. Yeah, even this book, even this anthology book is connected. And, yeah, the the first of all, the three criminals are, are driving, and Batman comes over the radio, which is yeah. such a baller move. And he's like, Sydney, you disappoint me. I told you to stop being a criminal. And the guy is so scared that he jumps out of the moving van. Right. And, they, you know, they slam the brakes. And then, yeah, the chunk, chunk, chunk of the lights going out. I mean, it is... Zdarsky just writes and Burroughs draws it brilliantly. He writes such a good, scary Batman, but it's equally measured by the, how desperate Jason is. You know, it's it's just mm-hmm. such a good contrast in who they are, where Batman is all confidence and, you know, playing people's fears against themselves. And Jason is all coming from a place of fear and you know is is reckless and it's it's such a cool contrast and it, it is it's one of my favorite batman scenes of the year easily oh yeah and it, it just proves that the chip to zadarsky really knows how to write batman he yeah. really knows what batman is about you know the fear that he brings to the criminals that sort of thing what is at his core it really shows that and it really shows that he has jason todd you know, we didn't know who Jason Todd was. This is who Jason Todd is. This feels like this is Jason Todd. And, you know, when they they get to the scene where he shows up at his apartment, mm-hmm. you know, and Batman's all about, you know, you committed murder in Gotham. And Jason just goes off. He's like a little kid that's been wounded. And he's just lashing out. He's in pain. And him and Batman are going back and forth, which... You know who was going to win that fight. There wasn't too much of a surprise the way it went. Well, Jason doesn't want to win that fight. You know, it's it's so it's I mean, even the 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 internal dialogue from Jason in that moment mm-hmm. is so great because he's saying to himself, "Don't do this. I shouldn't be doing this. Don't." And he throws a punch and he's like, "It's just, you know, he's so sanctimonious. He gets under my skin." And he's getting angrier and angrier and then he gets to that great line where he says, "In the end, he's just another failed parent." And that is such good writing because really Bruce is a failed child. You know, the the heart of Batman is the little boy in the alley. And we always think of of Bruce and Batman as this stunted child, this kid whose childhood died in a hail of bullets and falling pearls. We don't ever really stop and think what it's like for Jason and Dick and Tim and Damien because Bruce is not a failed child to them. He's a parent. And you're, you know, you and I are both parents. We all, you know, you and I, everybody on the planet, we all went through our own stuff growing up, but our kids don't think about that. Our kids only think about the way we parent them, right? Until maybe they're older and adults, but when they're growing up, the lens they have is, how are you raising me? What are you doing well? What mistakes are you making? And to Jason, Bruce is just another line in the, you know, he's, he's, he might as well just be the drugged out mom who puts him in the line of fire of drug dealers or the missing dad who, you know, commits crimes and goes to prison. And when you think of him in that manner, then Jason's rebelling and violence makes so much more sense. 
but it's it's contrasted with his desperation with this kid because he killed this kid's dad. The kid's dad had killed his mom, or at least over OD'd his mom. We don't know if she's dead on cheer drops, but but Jason has that great line where he's in, you know internally he's looking at the kid and he's like, what do I do? He's like, I can't take care of him, but I won't put him in the system because Jason's been in the system. He's like, where he'll just be. And then he's like plucked by some billionaire to be a child soldier. And you're like, oh my God, that's so good. Like there are some of the greatest lines of dialogue ever in this book. And I know Jason Todd better than I did before. So it is so powerful. And then we get to the end. I mean, the little kid putting himself in front of Jason saying he's a good guy. He's the Red Hood. What were your thoughts on that moment? That was kind of shocking. You know, this is a kid that is very similar to Jason, I think. He's... It wouldn't surprise me if he's seen things, you know, his mother on drugs, his father a drug dealer, basically. And he's looking up to him. To Mm -hmm. him, he's like, he's his superhero. So it makes perfect sense. I I don't know where Batman goes from here because you look at his face and his facial expressions and it's like, okay, I know they're going to go into the story of who's supplying this these cheer drops or whatever but i don't know if this relationship going forward even in the future can be saved yeah i i think this might be the best thing for it mm-hmm. i think the immediacy of this the panic that jason feels on every page in this comic which borrows just I mean, brilliantly depicts you just see desperation in the dialogue, in this facial expressions, everything about this book works. And I do think maybe Jason is so desperate that maybe just maybe they can connect. Maybe Jason will be vulnerable enough. Maybe Bruce will be vulnerable enough. Maybe they'll come together on some way. I mean, you know, I don't know that it'll ever be great, but maybe they can find a little common ground here. I think that... Yeah, they might find a little common ground, but it's always going to come back to yeah. you let the Joker live. And even at some point, if Batman goes to do what he said he's never going to do and you never believe he was going to do and kills the Joker, it's not going to be good enough. Mm-mm. There's too much time in between. And it's like, okay, why didn't you act sooner? There's nothing that Bruce is going to be able to do to appease him, I think. But I think this, with Jason, feel guilty about killing the boy's father and and not knowing what to do. I think that he's vulnerable, too, in this situation. Yeah, and I think what Zdarsky is doing is reframing that discussion. Because it has been the the big implement, you know, the big um, impediment, excuse me, between Jason and Bruce since Jason's return was... Why didn't you kill the Joker? If he, if the Joker had killed you, I would have tracked him down immediately yep. and put him in the ground. And you didn't, and that means you don't love me. And that's been the defining trait of their relationship. And Zdarsky is reframing it in this story. And he's saying, no, 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 no. The great sin was not that Bruce didn't immediately kill the Joker. The great sin was that Bruce plucked this kid from an unbelievably hard life and made him a child soldier that Bruce didn't find another way to heal Jason, but instead said, well, he's going to be violent and angry. I might as well point. He's going to be a gun. I might as well point him. And that is so much more interesting to me because I don't know how you get out of that. I don't. Zadarsky has done what great writers do. He has written himself into an unbelievably difficult box to get out of emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I cannot wait to see how he does it. Absolutely. 
I'm definitely looking forward to the story going forward. Are you reading his Daredevil run? I am way behind, mm-hmm. but I have started reading it on Marvel Unlimited. I'm like to issue 10 or 11 or so. Yeah, it's it's this good. It yeah. is it is is it is an immortal run in the making. And if you are lo- if you're a Bat fan and you're really liking this and you're not reading that, mm-hmm. go check out his Daredevil run because he is amazing. The the cool thing if you do have Marvel Unlimited, it used to be 6 months behind. Now it's only 3 months. Yeah, which so, is nothing. Yeah. So is nothing. So I'm I'm getting caught up on that and uh because I've heard well, I've heard you mention how great it is and since I th- I th- don't think I've read Daredevil since like Brubaker or Bendis area. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I've been enjoying it. So, so this is a good book that the Zdarsky part is worth the price of admission. While we're not covering the other stories, I do think the Outsider story continues to be fun. The Grifter story yep. continues to be fun. There is a not great Oracle story in this, but other than that, it's a, it's a good book. And the again, the Red Hood story is worth the price of admission alone. So, any final thoughts on this particular story? Just that we're getting great Jason Todd stories and I I like that I and I hope that continues absolutely so let's go ahead and head to our final book come on Robin to the Batcave we haven't one moment to lose well speaking of broken Robins (laughs) our final book today is a debut of a new series it's Robin number one by Joshua Williamson drawn by Gleb Melnikov lettered by Tom Petiri edited by Paul Kaminsky And in this debut issue, Batman rallies the Bat family to search for Damien to no avail because Damien is off the grid and fighting to earn his place in the League of Lazarus tournament, which he learned about in the backups in Batman and Detective. After defeating King Snake, who we will talk about, Damien makes his way to Lazarus Island, runs his mouth off to Mother Soul, the woman who runs the tournament, and is seemingly killed in a fight with a new character named Flatline. So, Bill, this is our debut Robin issue, a new series about Damien Al Ghul Wayne. And uh, what are your thoughts on this new book? Let's start at the beginning. We get Batman's perspective for the first few pages, thinking about Damien and who he is and who he can become. What did you think about this reflection from Bruce? I really enjoyed this because this is a kid who he thinks that he has failed. Mm-hmm. You know, Bruce is not a good parent. He's <laughs> no, not a good no. parent if you really no, he isn't. think too much about it. So he thinks that he could do some things differently, you know, with Damien. Damien, to me, feels like he hasn't grown much. There hasn't been a writer that has made him grow as a character he seems to be a lot of times the same punk kid he was from the very beginning yeah he doesn't kill that sort of thing but he doesn't seem like he's grown as a character very much to me so this does seem interesting I think the artwork in this is amazing yeah, it's, it's amazing. Why I, the book. I can't even 
go into how amazing this is. I mean, I can't even describe it properly, but to see at the beginning there where Batman and Robin and he's he's shooting his little you know grapple gun. Amazing. I don't know how to describe this art. It sort of has like a You know, they show Batman with this big, sharp jaw, mm-hmm. really incredible big jawline, and then I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's just amazing. It is. I, I've been trying to figure it out because it's it's unique. It's a unique style. Mm-hmm. It's very anime-influenced in moments. So there's a Joe Matarira, you know, famous 90s X-Men battle chasers. There's a bit of that. There's a bit of Capullo in the storytelling. Yeah. And then there's a bit of animation. It, it feels like there there are moments in here that feel like animated cells. They feel like there's the coloring is so good in this book. It's just amazing. And the fact that Gleb Melnikoff pencils, inks, and colors is unbelievable. I mean, that's Aparo esque. So I, it's the, the real look. I'll, I'm gonna full disclosure. Not a big Damien fan. Ordered this book for the art because I really liked Melnikov's art. And Joshua Williamson's not my favorite writer. I, I, his flash run was really hit or miss for me. And so I thought, well, you know, I'll check it out for the art. And then this opening scene was so powerful because Batman says what we're all thinking. He says calling Damien entitled would be an understatement. (laughs) He, you know, to the role of Robin of, you know, taking life of one day being Batman. Like the, the word that best describes Damien Al Ghul is entitled. He is an entitled little bleep. And he has been since the day he first appeared. Now, I would say he has grown in moments. When he was partnered with Dick, when Dick was Batman, he was delightful. He was a much different character. When he's with Jonathan Kent in the Super Sons, he's a much softer, more rounded character who I enjoy a bunch more. And I think that's the route that Williamson is going to go. I mean, we're Mm -hmm. not going to pretend that Damien isn't Damien and that leads to him seemingly getting killed at the very end of this book. But we are going to acknowledge, hey, he's an entitled little jerk, and we're going to take him on a little journey. So I like that we opened with that and that the Bat family has rallied, again, connected universe, right? That the Bat family is rallying, and we get to see Tim Drake, for the love of God. And they can't find him, but Bruce in his head goes, well, look, he was trained by the League of Assassins. A kid can take care of himself. I just don't want him to have to. And I liked that. I I like that we opened on Bruce before we got to Damien. But speaking of Damien, he's got to win a fight in order to earn his place in the League of Lazarus tournament. And oh, did they bring out one of my favorite villains from the early 90s, King Snake. Now, do you remember King Snake? Oh, absolutely. King Snake showed up in Robin, the first Robin series, if I remember correctly. He was, yeah. He's he's Tim Drake's first bad guy, mm-hmm. you know, Sir Edmund, and and he is blind, but he's one of the greatest fighters in the DC universe. And then not only was he a great fighter, he ran a gang. You know, he was Tim Drake's big bad for yep. the first maybe two years of Tim Drake's existence. That would have been enough. <laughs> but at one point in uh, a, an offshoot Batman title, Gotham Knights. There's a three-part arc where they identify that the the father, the person, and I shouldn't say like he's not the dad because he didn't stick around, but the the donor, the man who impregnated Bane's mother, 
was Sir Edmund, Sir Edmund Dorrance, the King Snake. So did you did you read the issues where it's revealed that he's the father of Bane? Yeah, it it feels like uh, he's not a good dude at all. <laughs> that story, he basically abandoning them in the prison or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, not a good dude. I don't know if they needed that. They did not. Let's yeah. You're being kind. They did not. Yeah. <laughs> so they do mention, you know, he's the father of Bane. You're trying to get revenge. But I want to talk about the fight a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because we're talking about someone that's one of the greatest fighters and as you said, DC. You know, uh, martial arts, this sort of thing. And I want to say that the art during the fighting is amazing. The how it it shows the force of the punches and that sort of thing where Damien's dodging it. You know, and I think you're going to ask out there. How can Damien win this fight? How can he win this fight? I think the weakness of King Snake here is you think this is a Robin, just like all the other Robins. Yep. And he he really underestimates him. And it's like at the end here, he's having a conversation because he wants him to give up, you know, save face. And then Damien just attacks him, and he wasn't expecting. I think the the one knee to the face is what did him in. But what did you think? Did you think that this was like... You had to know Damien was going to win, but if you think about it, how can Damien win this? But I think the way it was written, I think it was written perfectly. I will tell you, I was not a fan of this fight on the first read. I'm very happy that I read this book more than once to Mm -hmm. prep for the show because I was mad. I thought they wharfed King Snake, you know, where they, they had Damien take him out like a punk, like just... King Snake never even lands a blow. Damien's just like, dodge, mm-hmm. dodge, dodge, mm-hmm. boom, you're down. And I was angered by that because I thought, oh, this is a not so subtle message that Damien isn't Tim Drake, you know, where Tim Drake struggled with King Snake through minis and through his own series, you know, eventually defeated him, but it was a very hard fought battle. Damien's a way better fighter. And I was mad. I took this from a very Tim Drake place. And I was like, oh, that's petty. This is so ridiculous. And then in reading it again, I got to where you got and I thought, oh, no, no. What they're really illustrating here is two things. One, like you said, Dorrance assumes he's like Tim Drake because Tim Drake had honor and Tim Drake would not kill, right? Tim Drake Mm -hmm. takes being a part of the Bat family very seriously. He's a very moral character. So Dorrance assumes he has that edge over this guy because he's a Robin. And then the second piece is that Damien – flat out tries to kill him. I mean, it is implied that he breaks his neck, right? Because he he hits him with the knee and it's either his jaw or his neck that breaks. Now, I I can say jaw because the art sort of seems to depict that. But either way, I don't think Damien is overly concerned about killing him. No, I don't think so. And I think that's the difference. It was mentioned that, you know, if you would have killed him, I would have doubled it. But yeah, I don't. I don't think he. I didn't get that that he had broke. I, I see it now. The crack he broke something. Yeah. And then he is continuing to punch him. Yeah. 
That is yeah, an interesting. Yeah, that is it's it's brutal. Yeah, I don't. Do you like Damien as a killer? No, I, I Damien for me, you know, again, not a big Damien fan, which makes me liking this book even more shocking. But I find Damien especially repugnant when he's the stuck up entitled murderer who's like, father, let's right. just murder them so they can't come back at us. The only time I like Damien is when he's depicted as an actual 14 year old who's, you know, all bravado, but is secretly at the end of the day trying to win his dad's love. That I find very relatable and very likable, mm-hmm. and I, I root for him in those moments. So if if they if this book were going to straight play him as young Punisher, I'd be out after issue one. But it doesn't feel like that's where it's going. No, and I don't know if his intention was to kill him. I think his intention was to take him out. So I don't know if the end goal was to kill him. But I don't know. I don't- I don't know. I don't think it was. I, I think Damien is, is trained enough that if the intention were to kill him, he would have killed him. Right. I think, but I, but I don't think the intention was to leave him, you know, in, in the way he came in. Mm-hmm. I mean, he beats him down. And so I think Damien, you know, where Bruce's line and Bruce's line is hypocritical at times, right? Like Bruce's, you know, even tells the ghost maker, don't maim, you know, where Bruce is like, you know, let's capture them, but let's capture them without really hurting them. And it's like, yeah, Bruce, you straight up broke a guy's jaw or you, you straight up took out that guy's orbital socket. Damien is five steps past that, but right before murder. So he doesn't, I don't think he kills him. I don't think he has to, but either way, it's his entry into the league of Lazarus tournament. But before we get to that, we get this really interesting little scene where Damien is on the docks reading and having a, a conversation, an imagined conversation with Alfred. But the opening of that scene is Damien reading a manga, and we just full-on fall into the pages of the manga. Like, Gleb Melnikov is so good that he basically turns the middle of this book into five panels of a manga that I actually had to question, wait, is this a real manga? Like, am I missing uh-huh. the reference? What did you think of this? Was this? Uh, it was abrupt, but what did you think of this moment? I'm not sure. I mean, I didn't it didn't bother me. But at first I was like, okay, who's this Hannah person? Okay. And then I read it again and it's like, okay, it's obviously a manga. So he's really into the story. Mhm. He's being, you know, you know, he's kind of let his guard down and he's just doing something he enjoys doing. Which kids enjoy doing. Yes. That's the part I love. Yeah. yeah. So I think he's just being a kid, basically. And then yeah, Alf- I think, Alfred shows up, but yeah. I think there's a message here, though, because it's two kids painting, uh-huh. one of whom is a, a boy, very straight-laced, and says, you know, my parents told me that I have to have a plan. I, if I'm going to be the best artist in the world, I must do this first, then this, then this. And then there's this girl, Hannah, who's also painting and she's like, Oh, you're so silly. There's no path. You just paint from your heart, do what you want. And the boy is enamored of her, obviously. So, you know, we have two contrasts here. We have the, the disciplined stick to the plan and we have the follow your own heart, follow your own path. And I think that's the, the Williamson and, and Melnikov are telling us like, Hey, this is going to be the theme of this book. It's going to be, does Damien follow the rules of the bat and try to be his father who he's not or the rules of the Al Ghouls and try to be his mother who he's not or does Damien find his own path 
through. So I liked, I thought that was cool. I thought it was an interesting way to send that message that this is what the book wants you to focus on. I thought it was a cool little flex on Melnikov's part of like, Hey, look how good I am. I can draw this, but it was weird. It was a weird, it was an abrupt moment. And I think it took a little bit away from the conversation with Alfred, which I found really sweet. Mm -hmm. You think it is Alfred? No, I think it's just him, his subconscious, you know, that's what he thinks, but we've seen a couple imagined conversations with Alfred recently in some books. And remember, hand wavy death metal, Alfred is definitely back. We don't know what form or where or how. What if he's ghost Alfred? <laughs> I don't think he's ghost Alfred. I think he may be back somewhere, but. Oh, you're too nice a guy. You were like, I, you said, well, I don't think he's ghost Alfred, but your mind was thinking, you are bat bleep crazy. <laughs> Possibly. It's not ghost Alfred. That's just ridiculous. Come on. <laughs> ridiculous. I know, but it's still fun to think about. So Damien jumps on the boat and he's heading off to the League of Lazarus. And there are some new characters there who are saying who they beat to get into the the tournament. One guy's like, oh, I beat Bronze Tiger. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to call shenanigans on this. And thankfully, he's like, oh, I totally cheated. And another woman's like, well, I paid people off so I didn't have to fight Shiva. And so it's like, it's kind of cool to see how people got there. And these characters are obviously going to be newly created characters. Yeah. But we have a couple familiar characters when he lands on the island. And so who did you recognize? Well, of course, Rose Wilson. Yes. Ravager. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. That was kind of a surprise. This other character that's that's named Respawn, I'm not familiar with that one. I'm not either, but the the guy, when he first gets off the boat, he says, well, looky here, new fighters have... And he goes, oh, you gotta be bleeping me. I'm pretty sure that's Raptor from the Rebirth Nightwing book. The guy that knew Dick Grayson's mom in the circus and then becomes a, a an assassin. He doesn't have pain receptors. Okay. So he's like a he's a, I don't know if you read that book, but he's a really effective assassin and, and is a, a a character very closely associated with Nightwing. And I am very excited to see him back because he was a very cool villain slash antihero. Okay. Yeah, I'm not f- too familiar with him. But I, I found it, you know, you have Rose Wilson and then this other character that looks like Deathstroke 2. That was... Yeah, I'm not familiar with Respawn, if, if that yeah. person... I, I can't even tell if it's a male or a female character, no. if that character has appeared before. But we get the body doubles from Nightwing. Yep. We get a Green Arrow villain with a D. I think there's something dragon whose name is escaping me. You know, we get a couple, you know, some recognizable cannon fodder villains. Yep. Um, I think Nightwing, N-I-T-E Wing... That crazy guy, I think, is here. So, and then, you know, Lady Vic from Nightwing, the old Nightwing book is there. And then, most importantly, Connor Hawk. Yes, yes. Who, it looks like the League of Lazarus dudes are uh, setting him up to be, like, the champion. Yeah, which I'm excited for. So, we meet another new character named Mother Soul, who is apparently the person putting on the tournament. And she's trying to explain the rules. And for the second time in this book, they have said, well, you all know the rules, but we're let's go over them again. And Damien interrupts, which Williamson is lampshading, saying like, hey, there's some, there's some rules here that he doesn't know about. And Rose Wilson even says to Damien, kid, there are things going on here you clearly aren't aware of. Shut your mouth and listen. 
but Damien doesn't. And uh, what does our little buddy do? What does he decide to do? He wants a fight. <laughs> He's like, this chit chat is just a waste of time. Let's fight. So they're they're like, uh, yeah, I was hoping we'd break some bread first, but <laughs> who's to turn down a show? The young Robin step forward, any takers, and then we get this new character, Flatline, who I'm not familiar with. No, she's new. And they start to fight. And unfortunately, the thing that, that gets me here a little bit is Damien tries to go with his, you know, knee to the face, knee to the mm -hmm. chin, and she blocks it, and he's so shocked she blocks it. And she, she basically tells him rule number one of the tournament at Lazarus Island is it's a fight to the death, and she has pulled out his heart. <laughs> yeah, you kind of buried the lead there, buddy. She pulls out his beating heart. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, look, it is a brilliant book of a little book. Sorry. It is a brilliant bit of book ending by Williamson and Melnikov to have the fight with King Snake where Damien is so overqualified and just destroys him. And then it's almost like a wrestling match where he tries to use his closing move. Like he went for an RKO mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she blocks it. You know, and you can hear them going, she blocked the RKO. She blocked the RKO. And then she does her finishing move and yeah, rips out his still beating heart. Now the great part about it is she says to him, you know, rule number one, we fight to the death. And he says, but I'm dead question mark. And it's a great <laughs> ending because he's clearly not dead, but I, I really enjoyed the ending not because I believe for a moment that he's dead, but I loved that it was a callback to the first fight. And Williamson and Melnikov are almost saying like, hey, we get that you're probably mad that he took out King Snake so quickly, but now let's show the other side of Damien. Like when Damien is focused and mature, he is on par with anybody. But when he's young, dumb, and full of entitlement, he can get taken out quickly. But if there's one thing Damien's not, it's stupid. So I feel like this, this might have been a setup. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a, a totally a setup. I can't see him being eliminated, you know, right away. He's definitely not dead, but being eliminated, she's like one down. But yeah. I, I, yeah, I think this was a total setup. It is interesting, though. We got to meet a bunch of new characters in this book. Yeah. And so Williamson and Melnikov are smart because if there's one way to manipulate the grosser side of comic collecting right now, it's announced that you have a new character appearing in an issue and it'll sell out immediately. And so, you know, we do get some new characters, which is fun. This feels like an image book in, in all the, the good ways. It feels like an early 90s image book in that it, the art really pops, the color pops. It's super energetic, doesn't take itself too seriously, but is still a lot of fun and, and is interesting. So shockingly, I'm in. Yeah, I, I'm in too. I really enjoyed this, and I didn't know how it was going to be going into this, but it was really entertaining. So, And I do want to give one little shout-out uh, in that same interview that Tynan did that I referenced earlier where he talked about creating the Bat universe to sort of mirror that X-universe structure. Mm -hmm. He specifically said it because he was talking about Tim Drake. And he said, look, I get it. No one loves Tim Drake more than me. He says, look, look at my detective run when I first, you know, came back after Rebirth. He's Tim Drake was the main character of that of that book for a good year. He's like, no one loves Tim Drake more than me. I get that he's been MIA. We have big plans for him. He will be back in a meaningful way. 
there's a shared universe and our shared universe has enough room for everybody. So even though Damien has his own book and there's a part of me that's petty and is mad that it's not Tim Drake, I'm more okay with it because this first issue was so much fun and because we know Tim Drake will be coming. That's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. did hear that too. So yeah, that's very uh, exciting for sure. Any uh, final thoughts about this particular book? Just, just that I'm pleasantly surprised. It's it's a writer I don't normally love on a character I don't normally love, mm-hmm. but damn, the art is good and the whole package works. Yeah. I would have to agree. Love the art. Love the art. So, I guess we'll go ahead and get out of here. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am we're going to go to what we learned. So, Sean, you're going to tell me what you learned in this episode. Well, I ended talking about Robin by saying that the whole package works. So what I learned is about whole packages and that if you shade a, a drawing a certain way, you can get a second appearance of the Batawang and you can uh, you can uh, reinforce for the readers that Bruce Wayne is anatomically correct. And and I know you are cursing yourself because I went back to that subject matter. Unfortunately, we're looking for a new co-host. <laughs> no one blames you. I, I brought it on myself. But what about you? What did you learn? Why well, I learned, you know, in Gotham, there's a Batman musical. <laughs> As we saw in the Detective Comics issue. I want to go to a Batman musical. That's the way to get me to a musical, is actually have a Batman musical. I'd be there in a second. Yeah, that's the way to get to... I want to go to Gotham, go to the Batman musical. So that's what I learned. I wonder who's playing Batman. Probably Hugh Jackman. (laughs) 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 So on that note... We will go ahead and get out of here. We'll be back in a few weeks with more Batman goodness. Until next time, same bat time, same bat channel. We will see you later.